Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm speaking with Executive Director of the Chickasaw Development Foundation, Sean Johnson. Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I want to talk about um, your work in community development and working with cities um, across the Deep South and and the work that you're doing in Mississippi. But before we kind of delve into that, let's start at the beginning. So um, you grew up in Mississippi, is that right? I did. I did. I grew up in in New Albany, Mississippi. You grew up in New Albany. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I know that that took you a lot of different directions before, I guess, ultimately kind of coming back to New Albany yeah, and, yeah. and working there for a while. So what were some of your early kind of creative experiences uh, growing up? Well, my, my father, my grandfather on my father's side was an artist. Um, so the smell of oil paint was something I was used to <laughs> when I was young. And then my father was an artist as well. Uh, and then my mother had a frame shop. So uh-huh. and it was a frame shop and an art gallery. So these these artists would come come through New Albany, Mississippi, and and I would get to meet them and and help frame their work and uh, you know talk to them. And every once in a while, she would have shows. So it was a an interesting group of people that I grew up around. And um, when before we moved to New Albany, my that's where my mother's from. Uh, we lived in New Orleans, so I was there until the third grade or so. Uh-huh. But we kept an apartment down there that had been my great great uncles in the napoleon house and so we would go back down there uh you know very frequently so new orleans was like a second home to me and i i think that exposure to music Mm -hmm. and the arts and just kind of seeing things in a different way uh you know outside the horizons of the mississippi hills uh kind of set me on a uh gave me a little bit of wanderlust anyway yeah and i know you're a big um fan of music. So what are um, some of the bands or, or kind of musical experiences, particularly early on, um, that really got you excited? Oh, well, gosh, you know, my parents' record. I'm, I'm like all of us, I guess. That's where we start, you know. So uh, it was uh, Bob Dylan and, and Simon and Garfunkel and all of that. And then when I was in high school, I started working with the, the radio station there. Uh, I did their midnight to 6 a.m. shift <laughs> right. and uh, plug carts during uh, during uh, sports sports games and whatnot. So, you know, just knowing music and understanding, uh, you know, it, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you think about, in it, at least at that time period, we were all limited to what either our parents had exposed us to or what we were exposed to on a radio station. And, and the radio station I worked for was a, a CHR station, which was meant contemporary hit radio. And they had these little clocks and little color schemes on there. And at, at, at 15 after the hour, we, we had to play a green. And it was all programmed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, that's awfully constraining. There's so much music out there. And, and me being on the, the midnight to 6 a.m. shift, uh, you know, the managers were asleep, so I was able to play albums and do all kinds of stuff and, until they, they found out. <laughs> you probably discovered a lot of music that I did. way as well. I did, uh-huh. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking about that actually um, this week. I was thinking about how my kids will be able to choose. If I ask them what they want to listen to, they can choose from anything, and I can find it. I can pull it up Absolutely. on my phone. Yeah. But we, like I said, we're limited to kind of what we what was either on the radio or what our parents had. <laughs> right, right, right. And that, that's the way it was, the, the taste of our parents. And then, of course, you get older and your friends introduce you to things, but it was still kind of a limited pool. You know, I didn't really hear REM until I was a senior in college, and it was because they had they had sent a uh, an LP to the radio station, and it was in the garbage. They weren't going to play it. Interesting. And it was a fall on me, which I thought was a beautiful song. Uh-huh. And you know, I, I just thought it was it was great, and it was a new sound for me. And of course, having friends in New Orleans and and Weevil and all that, but that's that whole New Orleans vibe, right? You know, uh, but 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 listening to uh, to that music, it just kind of took me away mm-hmm. uh, out of out of just the you know the, the same old same old of small town and uh and so i guess coming back to a small town i was able to travel uh, you know and and go live other places and you know, i couldn't wait to get out of my small town mm-hmm. and then when i got older i appreciated the benefits of it but i thought why can't i make it you know we're losing population make this a place that that people don't want to leave necessarily mm-hmm. and bring a lot of this home it's everything's changed right so. Absolutely. Well, um, as you kind of moved away, so I'm thinking, um, Sean, college years, um, what, what, when you went to school, um, what, what was the goal then? What, what did you want to be, I guess you could no, say? Right, right. <laughs> well, I started, um, my degree is in international relations. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got married uh, young, and um, I had a job offer in Mali, West Africa, when I graduated. Um, and of course, we couldn't take a, a small child to West Africa. Mm-hmm. None of the parents were going to allow that. So we ended up uh, staying here. And uh, I went to graduate school for urban planning. Uh, and then um, got into construction and worked construction for a number of years out, out west in Nebraska uh, on uh, oil refineries and uh, edible oil. Not uh, not petroleum uh, oil, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was still a very interesting uh, experience for me. And then um, I came back to to Mississippi. I didn't really have any plans, but a buddy of mine, an artist, uh, you may have heard of him. He's he's passed away now. James Pitts, uh, Jimmy oh, Pitts. Uh-huh. I loved his work. It was it was a uh, it was a very um, I don't know very raw, and I, I did just spoke to me. Of course, he was a, uh, my best friend. And I thought we could do postcards and we could do this, that and the other. So we were we were talking to a printer one day and he said, why don't you start a newspaper instead? And so we thought, why not? And we started a newspaper and that kind of created the trajectory that has has landed me in this seat today. Yeah. So so tell me about kind of tell me more about that trajectory. So you go from what I mean, what an interesting thing to, <laughs> to go from this this edible oil to construction to newspaper, right, and then and then you go from newspaper to more product development and marketing, right, and stuff like that, right, right. So does the newspaper then kind of start you thinking about more product development and marketing, and that and is that is that the I you know it's it's a, the newspaper is product developing, and and, and when I had the paper, um, you know, in New Albany is where we started it. It was a we were covering New Albany, Tupelo, and Oxford. Uh, in my mind, I thought that those three communities would work together. Of course, being in New Albany, uh, I wanted it 
I was kind of throwing them in with the bigger guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but in my estimation, we were a, a triangle, and New Albany was one of the points on that triangle. And at the time, we were dry. And um, I had just purchased uh, a piece of real estate there, a little downtown building, and uh, I thought, well, why don't we make this thing wet? And then the, the value of the building will increase, and... The newspaper was a good way to to work that. Ultimately, we failed in 1996. It didn't work out, but it showed me at that time that, you know, the power of the print Mm -hmm. that you can influence decisions and create create kind of a reality and a new perception. Do you ever see that movie, The Truman Show? Oh yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's that part in it, and it always stuck with me when uh, Christos or the the director is up in the the sky area. And he said one word that, that I always think about. People people accept the realities that they're given. Mm. And so when you're in media, you have the chance to, to kind of shape that reality. Mm-hmm. And if you shape it into something positive uh, and something that people can believe in, and it, it's, you know, you, you can do it. In New Albany, uh, you know, we, we did really well with our social media and we got, uh, I was the director of tourism there and we were able to... Uh, get named best southern small town by USA Today and you know people ask me how that happened and I said well it's 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 about camera angles you know where do you take the picture from you know and and I mean we see it all the time but it's like anything else you take it for granted but for somebody outside of town you you take the picture and you you shape the reality and the beauty of it is even though that's a tourism effort um you know, the people in town start to feel it too, mm-hmm. and they start getting happier about it, and they start getting excited about it. And so, you you know, through shaping that, um, you're able to, I don't know, uh, positively affect reality. Well, we're working on something right now at the Arts Commission. Um, it's a placemaking initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called place mapping, right? right? So it's taking the concept of asset mapping and putting it specifically in a place and looking at arts and culture to shape that place. Right. Um, so I'm wondering, you may have um, some stories worth sharing about some of your work, um, whether in New Albany or other places that you've worked. But the goal is really for communities to look at their assets, to look at how they can shape that, like you're saying, and, and then to find and tell their unique stories. Right. Um, did you have any experiences like that about telling the story of a place like New Albany? You know, I think I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm more in tune with that mm-hmm. um, in in Houston. It's a, mm-hmm. a different mm-hmm. culture and a different history. Um, you know, one that I find very interesting personally. So of course I'm kind of latching onto it. But Houston, uh, Mississippi, where I am now, is is right on the Natchez Trace. Parkway, and you know the history of that time period, uh, how um, how the people would take their boats down to Natchez and then travel back up with their pockets full of money, for everything they sold, and the banditry and and all this all this business. A lot of those cowboy days that we think of, you know, the Civil War inter- interrupted the Mississippi frontier days completely. Mm. You know, it's overshadowed in history. But I think about those people, which which many of us are, you know, obviously descended from, and the travails that that, that they took and the lives that they made to to be here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Houston, you know, being a stopping off point, it was a, a very um, prosperous town. It was founded in 1837, and uh, 
you know, by frontiersmen, essentially, and named, it was the first town in the, the, the country named after Sam Houston. Mm. Uh, so, you know, you had that fervor of American expansionism and, and all that stuff going on, and he was quite a character. And uh, and so, you know, somebody somebody decided to found a town, and we don't see a lot of that happening Nowadays, uh-huh. you know, uh, just founding towns in the middle of nowhere with no electricity and so forth. And Houston is, you know, one of those that started that way. And I think it's very interesting. So what we did there is we had uh, an artist named Samantha Baldwin come in and uh, she's from uh, Pontotoc or Ponticola, I believe. Um But but we have these old um, tornado shelters all over town, little 10 by 10 structures. And uh, she's she started painting murals on them, and they are indicative of, you know, many things, but including the the Native American past of of the area, and uh, you know, just that kind of flavor. I'm Melody Moody Thordis, and you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. To hear all our conversations with creative Mississippians, be sure to subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast on your favorite podcasting app. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different Mississippians. Today I'm speaking with Sean Johnson. So, Sean, you've done a lot of work in community development and tourism um, across the state and uh, all over the place. <laughs> so I want to ask you, you know, what what makes you passionate about this kind of work, about improving communities? You know, I... I I've asked myself that since since we've talked about this. Why is it that I, I'm doing this? It, to me, it's it's just a lot of um, it's a lot of fun to to see um, see you're able to see big sometimes life changing results. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember um, seeing a, a I, I think it was through a, a Mississippi uh, Arts Commission grant that some puppeteers came through New uh-huh. Albany when I was young. And I had never seen puppeteers except for like at Bible school, uh-huh. you know, but these were actual marionettes and seeing the care and everything that went into that. It's it's about raising expectations mm-hmm. and seeing a better quality uh, of things. And, and a lot of times we're just... Uh, you know, we're we're in situations where we're just again having to accept the the realities that are presented to us, and so you know why not if you can uh, make it make it your work to make make communities better and and make them greater and mm-hmm. uh, you know draw out what those you know people can say and they they say it in such a way, but you know this place has its charms. Right. Well, it does have its charms, you know, and what are those charms and what makes it special, even if it's a biscuit? Mm-hmm. You know, the the corner gas station has the best biscuit you've ever had. Well, you know, somebody from New York, that is absolutely amazing. And, you know, when, when people travel 
you have adventure travelers. When I travel, I don't I don't always go to big name places. I like to go to more obscure places. And mm-hmm. there are people in Europe and different places who really love the South. And the South is kind of obscure. And having been able to live other places, I, when I was up in Maine, uh, the company I worked for there, the, the owner of it, I asked him one day, I said, what, when you think about Mississippi, what are you thinking about, you know? And he said, you remember that Scooby-Doo episode with the, the steamboat and they caught mm. the guy and the Spanish moss and, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what they think about or that's what he thought about, you know? So there's a mystique for Mississippi. And, uh, you know, when I decided to, to stay here, I was coming through here um, and was in Tupelo and Pat Raspberry, who had the film... Uh, she was the film commissioner in Tupelo. That's how I got into tourism was she had asked me to start a paper that would reach the more creative folks. And it was during the recession. That's why I was back. And I said, I don't know if it's time for a paper. And she said, well, just help me out as a location scout. Mm. And so when I came back to Mississippi after 20 years, my first job here was taking pictures that would be interesting to production folks. And so that gave me a better appreciation because I wasn't looking through my eyes at that point. I was looking through what they would want to see. Mm-hmm. And then it occurred to me, well, the people in Mississippi should re-envision what Mississippi looks like to somebody else's eyes. I mean, you could drive from, uh, you know, if I was making the drive from Oxford to Tupelo when I first moved back, I was living in Oxford. And so that drive through Pontotoc and early in the morning and those rolling hills, it was so beautiful. I mean, it was just a beautiful place. It's, we see it all the time. We don't think about it, especially in February. You know, mm-hmm. it's not the prettiest place, but in the springtime, it's gorgeous, and in the fall, it's gorgeous. In the summer, it's got its own whole thing going on, and and just being able to see that. And I, I do think there's something to be said for going away from a place and coming back to really appreciate it. I know that, I, you know, I grew up in Appalachia, mm-hmm. and I didn't really understand that you know, not everyone saw the beautiful mountains, you know, every day, because like you're saying, you see them on a daily basis right. and you're not thinking, oh, what a treasure, you know, that mm-hmm. I live here and have mm-hmm. grown up here sure. um, until um, I was away. And then, right. you know, I love the mountains. I love going back and I can appreciate Appalachia and, and all of its goods and bads, you yeah. know, in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the most exciting work um, that I've been able to do is working with communities to to tell their stories that they may not realize are interesting to people. For right. example, um, let's say that um, a community has a, uh, a a pickle plant, you mm-hmm. know, or something like that. Or like you said, like a biscuit uh, right. uh, trail or uh-huh. tamales or these things that become so every day that we almost stop to notice them. But having these conversations with communities across the state who know what their story is, but they might not put the importance on it or the value on it that it deserves. But I feel like from a tourism standpoint and from a placemaking standpoint, um, those conversations are the most exciting to me for, for communities to notice for themselves. Like, oh, you mean that this could be a, yeah. you know, this could be a t-shirt, this could be a, right. a sign, this could bring people here people Mm -hmm. are interested in that and i always say 
that is why people want to come. Like they want to come because your community is unique because of the stories. Sure, you know that you have yeah, it's to that tell. That authenticity. People want to see it for real, and that's a fine line you have to make. You know, you can see it in some communities. And I have a buddy of mine up in the Carolinas now, and they are their tourism has come in so strong. Uh-huh. That it's, you know, he's lamenting the fact that the authenticity is is leaving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there has to be some, if I can use the word, sustainable tourism development. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to sell your authenticity and become a, a Disney World or an Orlando. For, right. You know. Well, I'm sure that um, that, you know, I'm interested to hear about your experience in Tupelo, like with Elvis. Mm-hmm. So how do you, in that situation, use the story of Elvis to... Um, tell this. Tell tell what you want um, to stay authentic to that community. Right, right. Well, the, you know, one thing, and, and people always think that, you know, the big attractor to to Tupelo. What brings in all the tourists to Tupelo? It's Elvis. It's it's the restaurants that bring in and the mm-hmm. shopping and and all that. Elvis. Right. I mean, Elvis is great. That's yeah, that's a gift that you just don't get everywhere. Right. But I remember when I was doing the data on it and I, I was looking up keywords and so forth to do the, the first little online marketing campaign that we had done. You know, apple pie is a lot more popular than Elvis. <laughs> okay. Right. So, I mean, if you have a, a pie shop in your town, you know, getting online and promoting that you have the best apple pie in the world mm-hmm. is going to reach more people than Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um but the, the, the Elvis thing, absolutely, it's important. And that story is so American and so perfect. It's so prophetic, the timing and everything and the location of where he was born. There's just so much depth to that story. And so we did, um, we were doing a, uh, a video and I, I looked at doing a, a, you know, a video for online. And this was right before drones were a thing. So it was to get the shots that I was thinking of, it was going to cost a gazillion dollars to have a helicopter fly over. And, um, and so, so anyway, because I had worked with Pat on the film stuff, uh, I, I thought, well, why don't we just do like a, an independent film and do a story? And so I got with a guy named Mike McCarthy out of Memphis. He's kind of a, I don't know what the term is, but grindhouse movie theater, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of race cars and aliens and things. But it had that, that kind of a funkiness to it. And he had worked at Sun Studios, so he had that that vibe. Um, and so we, we made this movie with uh, Amy LeVere and some other actors, and it was about a guy that gets stranded in uh, Verona, Mississippi, and the ghost of the past, which is played by Amy LeVere, uh, ends up taking him on a tour of the area that begins with uh, where where Gladys and where Elvis's parents got married right there in Verona and then ends up, um, you know, at the courthouse where uh, where they're reaching up. And this is where the Marshitz photo, where he's reaching down into the crowd. I mean, uh-huh. a godlike photo, if there ever was one about rock and roll and everything, right there. And there was no marker for it. Mm-hmm. And we, we got online and we called some people up and, and figured out where it was. Well, where that actually took place, um, you know, we, we couldn't use it there. Um, so uh, what we did was we thought we were having lunch at this Chinese restaurant. And we said, why don't we talk to the city about putting a statue there? And so we got with Bill Beckwith in Oxford, or Taylor rather, and, and asked him and he did the statue for us, and where we placed it was if you if if you 
look at it from one angle, you've got the, the good photographic angle. You've got City Hall in the background, and we'd ask the city. It just said City Hall before the statue. We said, put Tupelo City Hall on there. So when the photos were taken, it would say Tupelo behind it. And then the, the other good angle has Tupelo Hardware, where, of course, Elvis got his first guitar is, is in the other good angle. And uh, that was a very fulfilling thing because it just was magical. The whole thing worked out, and uh, I was very lucky to be a part of that. Um, but, but a lot of it, what that goes back to is, is that things are placed, you know, with intention. Mm-hmm. And placemaking is placing with the intention of doing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see happenstance things happen or convenient things happen. But when you, when you have something placed with intention, it does add to the authenticity of that place overall, in mm-hmm. my, my opinion. Yeah, and that, that leads me to um, a, a topic that, that I'm passionate about, um, this idea of community branding. Mm-hmm. So um, from a marketing standpoint, uh, you know, I can see how some community members might say, oh, community branding, you know, it's inauthentic. It's not, you know, our voice. But mm-hmm. community branding from the standpoint of what's important in that community, what's unique in that community and again, I think that so many communities know what that is, but they're not necessarily telling it or promoting it or, like you said, putting the name Tupelo on City Hall or mm-hmm. thinking about that from a branding and marketing perspective. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on community branding and are there things that you've seen um, you know, that you feel like work well? I know one of my favorites is um, Water Towers. You know, painting, oh, yeah, yeah. painting the name of the town on a water tower mm-hmm. or um, murals on sides of buildings. You know, sure. things that are already there, assets that are already there, mm-hmm. and using that as opportunities to Absolutely. do that community branding. Water towers are, are huge. And um, I've, you know, the, the towns, when they get their grants for, they'll get a grant to put a water tower up, and that includes the artwork. And in, in New Albany... One of the aldermen, when I was working there, said, "I, you know, this is, we've got the opportunity to put something good up there. Why don't we put something good? So so uh, we put a bust of Faulkner up on our tower, and that ended up in the New York Times. Right. You know? So, uh, yeah, I would love everybody. Mississippi's full of famous people, you know, in, in Houston, where I am now. Uh, I would love to see Bobby Gentry up on a tower. Uh-huh. You know, right. uh, because that that just marks people in the Delta. You'd have towers in every town named for somebody. And, um, you know, it, it provides people, you know, some pride of place. I mean, and people exactly. need to know their history. They need to know where they're from. You know, I mean, you've got to have roots. And, uh, you know, we don't get to choose what town we're born into. You know, we don't. Right. But we're born into it and we have the opportunity to 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 love it and to have a relationship with it and uh you know and and be a be a big part of it if we're just aware and awake and again just want want it to succeed I'm Melody Moody Thordis, and you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. To hear all our conversations with creative Mississippians, be sure to subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast on your favorite podcasting app.
On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today, I'm speaking with my guest, Sean Johnson. So, Sean, um, you are currently working as the executive director of the Chickasaw Development Foundation in Houston, Mississippi. That's right. And prior, you worked um, in New Albany and mm-hmm. then before that, Tupelo and various places across right, yeah. the U.S. Um, so, I want to talk a little bit about some of the economic development that you've seen. Um, I know that uh, you and I both in our former positions worked together um, to um, about, excuse me, to promote the Tanglefoot Trail, which is a Mm -hmm. bicycle and pedestrian trail that runs from Houston to New Albany. So you've had the distinct pleasure of working now in the cities that anchor that Tanglefoot Trail. Right. Um, and I know that it has really spawned a lot of new businesses um, and a lot of creative development, particularly in rural Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of how the Tanglefoot um, affected your work both in New Albany and the things you're doing in Houston. That sure. Connect sure. to that. Well, you know, the Tanglefoot Trail is, is, is definitely something that, that we can hang our hat on. In New Albany, Houston, Pontotoc is at the center. It's kind of a, the center entry point to it. Uh, and in and, and downtown, you know, New Albany's shopping experience is a lot more mature than, than Houston's is. Mm-hmm. And so it was more of a, um, I think that it added to the positivity of, of New Albany. But what I've seen in Houston is it has really driven some economic uh, Investments, some investments in Houston. We have a uh, uh, a new pizzeria downtown. We have a, another new restaurant. We've got two new restaurants. Besides that, we've got a boutique hotel, which is, gosh, I mean, top of the line uh, that should be done this summer. And then we have another. Uh, it's a four unit kind of for groups of folks. And it's got a outdoor patio and a place to, you know, a fire pit to bring your guitar. And it's it's right on the Tanglefoot Trail. You could literally throw a rock at it. Very nice and high end. These are investments that real people have made, private money, going in because of the, uh, the, the Tanglefoot, the prestige of the Tanglefoot and the very real economic benefit that, that these bikers come to. And the beauty of it is, you know, they'll come they might drive to Memphis, but they're going to come to, I mean, drive from Memphis to New Albany, but they're going to come to Houston because it's at the other end. So, you know, we all share in this. And um, I, I think that I'm hoping that, that as this matures, we can work as as kind of three communities together 
uh, on these things. And and I just want to say, I don't know if, if listeners out there know that the, the Tanglefoot really is a national example for economic development in small towns. It is. Um, you know, it has been phenomenal um, in in what it has been able to create. In fact, it was um, this this past year won an award, I think, for Trail of the Year. It was. It was the Trail of the Year. Nationally. Mm-hmm. So um, it's something that I think... Um, you know, I have a background in, in bicycle and pedestrian advocacy, but it's something that I was even astonished by, um, how many people are coming, but then also how many people really start to kind of root for, you know, these rural communities, these smaller communities right. in a place right. like Mississippi. Sure. Um, sure. And so, like you said, you get the added benefit of tourism and civic pride. Uh-huh. It's, it's both sides of the coin. It really in a is. Way. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's in New Albany, of course, all the landscaping and the public investment that went along with it, you know, the, the new bridge, mm-hmm. replacing the old railroad bridge with the uh, the new pedestrian bridge and then the lighting there at the trailhead and the landscaping there. It's uh, it's really made New Albany a little showcase. It was definitely a tipping point for us. And, uh, you know, with Houston, as we continue to develop it and, you know, we'll talk about the Levitt Amp series in a uh-huh. little bit. There's a park adjacent to the trail. Uh, that has a lake on it, and that's where we've chosen to host the Levitt series. And one of the uh, we're 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 looking for ways to to get some help in developing that park into putting a couple of RV spots, and then of course a permanent stage and and some solar lighting and a pathway around the park to make that a great place for Tanglefoot Trail people, uh, visitors to the trail to. Uh, to experience, and it's 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 just a couple of blocks from the trail and a couple of blocks from our historic square, so we think it's a great location for that. So let's back up and talk about this this Levitt Amp grant. I sure. know that that's something that a couple small towns in Mississippi have gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston recently um, right. got this. So so tell our listeners what that is, and then tell us a little bit about oh, your, sure. your project. Sure. The the Levitt Amp is um, it's a uh, a placemaking through music grant, and it's presented by the uh, Mortimer and Mimi Levitt Foundation. And so if you're familiar with the Levitt Shells, it's the same family, and um, they want to bring people together through music and uh, revitalize public spaces. And so uh, they started this, I think it was in 2015, and um, we won it in New Albany when I was there in 2016. So I was able to see how it worked there, mm-hmm. and it really did wonders for uh, the civic pride and then also uh, investment in that uh, Riverside Park there. Uh, and and the way it is, you write the grant, and then there's an online voting component. And I think they choose 15 communities around the country. And mm-hmm. so Houston, we made it to both of them, uh, made it through the grant writing part, and then when the voting came up, we came in sixth place. So it's a $25,000 grant for a 10-week music series, and uh, we'll be hosting it, and I'm I'm super excited about it. Uh, you know, the voting component's really ingenious on their part because now the town's invested in it. They've all mm-hmm. voted on it. And, um, and this is a free music it's series, It's free. Correct? Yeah, it's right. absolutely free. Um, it'll have a diverse lineup, so we'll have music. Uh, you know, we're looking at uh, Zydeco and then and then blues and soul and just around the board, something that a small town of, you know, a few thousand people, just that's not going to happen. Right. You know, and this makes it happen. So I don't know what kids are going to be out in that audience that they're 
horizons are going to be expanded because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're looking at doing a couple of other fun things, like a uh, uh, one of the things that they suggested at their their meeting was a uh, an instrument petting zoo where interesting you know where kids can play with a trombone or do any number of things just to just have the experience put their hands on an instrument for right. the first exposure. time maybe. yeah exposure different types of music different i'd love that i love that petting zoo idea yeah. that's so interesting <laughs> yeah. um hattiesburg has a um has a, a place making um thing that they just did and it's um it's like a gazebo uh-huh. where the instruments are all they're locked up but they're accessible so you can't take them but you can play them oh very nice so anyone can come to this gazebo and play the piano or play the drums or play the guitar or sing in a microphone and it just reminds me of that same kind of thought of it's it's about exposure and just letting letting kids try these things. yeah what's it going to unlock in their little minds you know to to just be exposed to something for the first time so I'm really interested in um, this 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 piece that you know a lot about that I'm I, I want to know more about um, of economic development called blockchain technology. Mm. So so you've done a lot of study about this. So can you tell me and our listeners what it is? Well, people think blockchain. Uh, you know, you've probably heard of Bitcoin. Uh huh. Okay, Bitcoin is based on a it's a blockchain uh, a utility. If you will, it's it's usually it can be used as a currency, but it's it's there are um, a lot of utilities in an electronic currency. Right now, we trade dollars. We could just as easily be trading uh, seashells or something. I see. You know, um, if you if you look to the future and you say, well, what's a currency going to do? Well, take about taxes right now, okay? And a lot of the communities out there have tourism taxes, and of course, you have your sales taxes and so forth, and. And that's when you buy, let's say you buy a, um, a $10 lunch in a community. And so you've got, a, uh, you've got your 7% sales tax. Uh, 18% of that 7% goes to the community that you buy it in. And then 2% uh, on top of that for the tourism tax. Most of that's going to come back to the community. Uh-huh. But what that does is you have the, um, you, you have the restaurant has to send that money he collects the money, sends it to Jackson. Jackson then turns around, divvies it up, and sends it back out to where it needs to go. And with with blockchain currencies coming on board, all that can happen in real time. So as soon as you buy your your ten dollar lunch at at the diner, you know immediately that money can come back into uh, into the city, into the municipality, and it can filter from there into whatever account it's supposed to, whether it's supposed to go to general fund or tourism or whatever. And you have, because you don't have all that administrative cost and because you have that immediate liquidity, uh, the the fundamentals of, of how we run communities are going to change. And then, two, you've got um, how that plays into the Internet of Things, which is coming very quickly. Uh, you know, right now, um, have you heard of Starlink, uh, Elon Musk's? Uh, briefly, I mean, not okay. enough to. They're putting a bunch of satellites up. That it's going to provide broadband, interwet, untethered broadband, universal Internet, whether you are in Houston, Mississippi, or Takapola, Mississippi, or, or in the middle of the desert uh, in the Sahara, you'll be able to access, you know, broadband Internet. That's going to change everything. Um, you know, that we have to, it's going to change education. 
it's going to change transportation. I mean, they're already working with driverless trucks. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, you know, in small towns, that's a good job. Uh-huh. Truck drivers make good money. And how many of them in a small town? Are, what's going to happen? Right. You know, those jobs are going to go. And so we have to reevaluate what our limitations have been in the past and what our possibilities are in the future. And that's really the what I like to think about, you know, in the heady 30,000-foot view of, of economic development, what, what are we going to do in the next 10 years? Because we've seen how drastically things have changed in the past few decades. Mm-hmm. You know, all these small towns around here had factories in them. And then in the 90s, these factories went away because of not just globalization, but, you know, the invention of a container ship. Mm-hmm. That changed everything. And so, 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 you know, some towns are rebounding, some towns are not rebounding. And then you've got uh, 3D printing, uh, you've got Amazon and their drone delivery service that they're already doing up in uh, Virginia, where seriously, if you want some Pringles, you can get on your phone and there'll be Pringles brought to your house. Just Pringles. Yeah, the work of community, particularly <laughs> to me with the arts, is, is an interesting uh, juxtaposition of... of you might say analog and technology. And what I mean by analog is this idea of, um, like I said, communities really tapping into who they are and, and, and the story of their place, but then also embracing that technology side of what does the future look like? Well, you, 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 that's why it's so important to have your authenticity now, Mm. because what else are you going to have when you get a pie from wherever delivered to you? you know, in the middle of the desert, uh, you know, or, or, or whatever <laughs> yeah. you want. I mean, because that's how quickly things are changing. So, you know, you that authenticity, that flavor. Mm-hmm. And one thing I can say about Houston, the people are absolutely wonderful. You know, I'm not from there, so I'm, I'm saying it, you know, kind of objectively as an outsider coming in, but they are absolutely friendly people. And I think when people come and they're looking for a place to settle, they're going to look for good schools, they're going to look for a quality of life uh, where they, you know, they can have a nice meal. They can they can be entertained. They're safe. Their kids are taken care of. And that's what we have to strive for. And, and you know, the 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 authenticity that is, it comes in different flavors. And so there's going to be flavors for everybody. You know? Well, um, in as we close up our conversation um, real quick, is there anything that you would say to people in small towns across Mississippi, um, in addition to what you've you've already said for advice of how they might you know revitalize their town? I would say just make it a place that you don't want you know that your kids are not going to want to leave. Right. Um, you know, every town's got something special about it. You've got to find out what that is. What it really is, not what you think people want it to be, mm. but what it really is, and make it that. Uh, you know, dusty dirt roads, there's a place for that. People love those things, all right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to build $250,000 houses on them, but they, there's a place for all of these things. And whatever assets you have, you've got to start working with what you have right now because things are changing so quickly. And And looking at those assets, noticing what they are. And then I think being bold and and telling people, you know, what you're proud of and why you want to live in a place. 
Hi, I'm Melody Moody Thordis, and you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. To hear all our conversations with creative Mississippians, be sure to subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.